Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here. It is encouraging to see everyone here, uh, both our members and our visitors. What a blessing God has given us uh, that we're able to come together as a family uh, and to spend time being nourished upon his word, praising his holy name. Uh, if your Bibles aren't already open to 2 Peter, uh, I'd ask that you turn them there now. We are going to be focusing on this passage here in chapter 1, specifically verse 5 through 8. We, we talked a couple weeks ago um, about being more intentional about spiritual growth. Uh, if, if we are going to grow in our relationship with the Lord, grow in our service to Him, that's not something that's just going to happen by accident. That's not something that we, we're just going to drift along on auto, autopilot and, and suddenly find ourselves where we need to be spiritually. If we want to grow spiritually, we're going to have to be very uh, active and diligent and intentional about it. And, and there shouldn't be any higher priority in our lives than to grow in our relationship with the Lord and our service to him. Uh, it should be our, our highest and utmost priority. We talked uh, about the, the passage from 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul talks about not running without aim. Uh, as an Olympic athlete, being very active uh, about setting our sights on where we need to, to work, where we need to grow um, in our relationship with the Lord, our reflection of his character uh, in our day-to-day living. And we mentioned in that lesson some different virtue lists that are found throughout the scriptures. Uh, and we've covered some of those recently in Ephesians 6, the armor of God we studied about as we overviewed Galatians, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but I want to focus today on this virtue list in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're doing the, the yearly Bible reading, we're coming to a close now. You're getting ready to read 2 Peter this upcoming week. And one thing that is especially interesting as we look at this virtue list in 2 Peter chapter 1 is it's very linear. Uh, it, it is intentionally not just a, a conglomeration of lists, but, but add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. Uh, I, I don't think this is like a math equation, this plus this plus this plus this, or even like a recipe, you know, add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It, it's... To your faith, add virtue, and to your virtue, add knowledge. It's intended to almost be like a, a roadmap, a, a, a stair steps of spiritual growth, if you will. And I want us to think a little bit as we look through this list about why they're arranged in this order. What is it uh, about faith that is the starting point? What is it about love that is the pinnacle of the spiritual growth? And how do all of these other virtues fit in in between? Before we get into the individual virtues that are listed here, though I want to see this in the larger context of what Peter is talking about here. Uh, we had Jonathan Reed starting in verse 3. You notice in verse 3 and 4, he talks about how God's divine uh, power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Um, and that through these things, through the promise that, that he has granted us uh, there in verse 4, says, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and so on and so forth. For this reason, well, what reason? Because God has made it possible for us to be partakers of the divine nature. That's, that's the goal. That's the motivation 
is God has created us in his image and through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the scriptures, we have an opportunity to partake of his nature, of his character. That's what it's about. It's the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5. It is being like God, shining his light and his character in the way that we live from day to day. And not only that, at the end of this list, notice what he goes on to say in verse 4. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we want to be effective? Do we want to be useful in the Lord's service? Do we want to bear fruit for him? Well, if so, then we need to get serious about working on these things. And and you notice there, he said in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, uh, although this is a linear list, it's not, I'm going to master faith and get to a point where I don't need to work on it anymore, and then I can move on and work on virtue. Uh, no, there, there is a, a, a structure to this um, that, that is somewhat linear, but that doesn't mean that any of these, we get to a point where we're no longer working on it. If these are yours and increasing. He goes on in verse 10 and 11, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is it important that we study these things? Uh, he says, if, if these qualities are being practiced, then we will have an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to enter the eternal kingdom? <laughs> Do you want to be fruitful and useful in the Lord's service? Do you want to partake of the divine nature? Peter's going to tell us what we need to do to do that. Uh, and so hopefully that context will kind of whet our appetites for what he's going to talk about in this, this virtue list here of spiritual uh, stair steps of spiritual growth uh, in verse 5 through 8. We start here in verse 5. Uh, what everything else is added to is faith. To your faith add virtue. Faith is certainly the, the most foundational aspect of our service to God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We can't even begin to approach the divine nature without faith. We, we are not going to have any motivation uh, to develop these things, any basis for developing these things, if we don't, first of all, believe in uh, God's uh, power and divinity, believe in him, have faith in who he is. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, faith is presented as the most foundational aspect of our service to the Lord. Um, You think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's where it starts. That, that is the foundation. And we see throughout the scriptures that many other aspects of our service to the Lord are talked about. But many times, uh, the word faith is used to describe the entirety of the Christian life. Or the entirety of Christian doctrine is the faith. Uh, and so we cannot be pleasing to God. We cannot grow at all if we don't start here. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 we're told the righteous man shall live by faith. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And when we think about the word faith, I think sometimes we, we have the idea that it's, it's 
belief. And that, that's true. Uh, it has to start with believing that God is, believing that he is almighty, he's the creator, that Jesus is his son, the Christ. But, but it's a whole lot more than that. Um, you know, if I tell Aaron, I believe in you, what do I mean by that? Do I mean, I, I believe that you exist? Well, no, I, I mean, that, that would be implied. Uh, but no, I, I have confidence in her. I trust in her. And when we talk about faith within the scriptures, normally that's, that's the primary aspect that we're talking about, is, is trust in God. Belief, not only that he is, but that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's the basis on which we're going to strive to be more like him. Uh, that we believe he keeps his promises. We believe that he is in control. Without that belief and trust, we will not uh, be able to, to even begin this uh, path of spiritual growth. And yet, we see that our faith needs to be added to, as foundational as faith is. And I think sometimes maybe we, because we're worried about teaching faith only, uh, we overreact to that and fail to emphasize the importance of faith. Um, look throughout the entire Old Testament. Look in the book of Isaiah, especially. See the importance of trusting in God. Um, but it doesn't end there. Our faith needs to be added to. James chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, we're told, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer is implied. Well, no, that, that faith is not even a faith at all. He goes on in verse 17 to say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Um, a, an inactive faith uh, is just an empty shell. That, that's no faith at all. True faith is a faith that is going to be built upon, a faith that is going to be added to, a faith that is going to live from day to day. He goes on here in James 2, verse 19 and 20. Uh, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Uh, if we're just talking about an intellectual understanding or belief of who God is, well, then the, the demons even have that. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about something living and active and growing. We can't truly have faith if that faith is not something that's being built upon. Um, and so if we want to not be ineffective and unfruitful, if we want to be fruitful in the Lord's service, we need to get serious about adding to our faith, uh, living our faith. And so he says, add to your faith virtue. Now, it's interesting, we've been calling these different lists throughout the epistles virtue lists. Uh, and this word virtue, you might almost think as a summary word for, for all the other things that we're going to talk about. Why is it that he says, add to your faith virtue? Well, this word virtue is the word arete, uh, and it, some versions might translate it moral excellence. Uh, a commentator named Michael Green says this word is used to denote the proper fulfillment of anything. The excellence or arete of a knife is to cut. The excellence or arete of a horse is to run. Of a bird is to fly. Well, what about man? When we talk about the excellence 
of man, what is his excellence? Partaking of the divine nature. That, that is what we are intended for, just as much as a knife is intended to do a cut uh, and a horse is intended to run. Uh, and so when we talk about virtue, arete, we're talking about uh, moral excellence, excelling in reflecting God's character. Well, why is this the first quality that we need to add to our faith? I think possibly what's being implied here is adding to our faith a commitment to moral excellence. Um, that we are, are committing to be the best that we can possibly be in fulfilling what God has put us here on earth to fulfill and reflecting his character. Um, you know, if, if I, I've used this uh, idea before, but if I were to ask how many people here want to be a mediocre Christian, you know, who, who's going to be jumping up and saying, oh, oh yeah, that's me. I want to be a mediocre Christian. Well, no. I, I think if asked, all of us would say, I want to be the best Christian, the best disciple, the best servant for the Lord that I can be. And yet, if we're going to grow pop- properly, we need to get serious about that commitment. We need to live that commitment day by day. That needs to be something that, that is imprinted in our minds and the way that we think and the way that we live. A commitment to be the best that we can be in the service uh, of our Lord. Uh, there's going to be a lot of overlap here with the lesson that we did a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, you may uh, remember looking at there, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, this seems kind of odd in 1 Corinthians 9. When, when he's talking about our spiritual lives, he compares it to a race, and in a race, only one person wins. Well, is that the way that, that our spiritual lives are? Uh, no, you know, is what Paul is saying here, I need to be, you know, pushing Rick and Jerome out so I can try to get ahead and, and, and be the first to win the prize? Well, no, that's not the point that he's making. But because in a race... Only one person wins. You know, what, what's the attitude of that Olympic athlete? Is his attitude, well, I'm just going to kind of jog along here, across the finish line when I get to it. Well, no. No, there, there's something that is motivating him to strive as hard as he can for that finish line. Even though we run in a race where not only one wins, uh, where we get to share in the, the victory of Christ, Paul says that needs to be our same attitude. Striving as much as we can. Striving for excellence. Uh, We need to have that attitude of the the Olympic athlete. Um, You know, I'm afraid sometimes when we think about our spiritual lives, uh, and I'll I'll go along with Carl's lesson last week, uh, when we think about church attendance, uh, when we think about being involved in different study opportunities, I think sometimes our thought is, well, is this sufficient? You know, is this enough? Is it okay if I just come to this service and and not take part in that? Is that our attitude? You know, can can I just do what's sufficient? Uh, Will this be enough for God? Is he okay with that? No, being committed to moral excellence, to virtue, has the attitude that I want to be the very best that I can be in the service of the Lord. 
I want to do all that I can do in my service to the Lord. We need to switch our, our thinking here. And Paul tells us, or Peter tells us in 2 Peter, if we're going to grow, it starts by a commitment to moral excellence. By being the very best that we can be in our service to the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, we, we covered this today in our overview. Remember what Paul says here, verse 13 and 14. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here again, using a similar illustration, striving forward. When we recognize that life isn't about us, that it's not about my goals, it's about God's goal for me, then I'm going to need to start striving for moral excellence, to be the very best that I can be in my service to the Lord. And so if we want to grow, we need to start by adding to our faith a commitment to moral excellence, to virtue. But he says, add to that virtue knowledge. It's one thing to have a passion and zeal for the Lord, but it's another thing to have that passion and zeal properly directed. Um, you know, I may be running really hard, but I may be running the wrong way on the track. That's not going to do me much good, is it? Um, I need to make sure that my zeal is directed by knowledge. Romans chapter 10 and verse 2 says, I testify about them, talking about the Jews, Jewish brethren, that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. We need that zeal, that commitment, that passion but it needs to be properly directed. And we talk about a knowledge of God. Um, we're not just talking about information here. Um, we, we talked about this with relationship goals uh, back uh, when we were talking about not without aim. We talked about Jeremiah chapter 9. Remember there, Jeremiah chapter 9 in verse 23 uh, if you want to turn with me there, verse 23 of Jeremiah 9, he says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What kind of knowledge is he talking about here? Um, do, do I strive to know God like I know Abraham Lincoln or like I know Benjamin Franklin? Yeah, I, I read a book about them once. You know, I, I, I wrote a report on them. No, I, I want to know God the way that I know my wife. I want to know his likes and dislikes, his character. I, I want to know his heart. And so when we talk about adding to virtue knowledge, we're talking about growing in an intimate understanding of who God is, of his character. And, and how do we do that? Well, we talked about this as well uh, a couple of weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, no man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit that is within the man. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of the God. Um, chapter 2, verse 11 here. Verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If I want to come to know God, I need to get serious about letting him tell me who he is. Right? It's very easy for me to try to develop my own picture of who God is and how he thinks. And often that, that ends up reflecting kind of the way that I think. Right? I need to come to the scriptures ready to let God tell me who he is. And to understand how he thinks, how he sees the world. And to start thinking that way myself. To start seeing myself, seeing the world around me in that light. And so if we want to grow, we need to come to know God. You know, we uh, might be familiar with, with uh, the old acronym WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, if, if we're going to effectively put that into practice, we first need WDJD. What did Jesus do? Or possibly WDJS. What did Jesus say? Uh, if, if we're going to properly do what Jesus wants us to do. Uh, we need to get to know him. We need to get to know how he acts, how he thinks, what he said to us. Um, if we can't go to scripture and show why we believe God would approve or disapprove of something, it's probably something that we came up with in our own mind. So we need to get serious about getting to know the Lord. And he says, add to knowledge self-control. It's one thing to be committed to spiritual growth, to moral excellence. It's another thing to be properly directed in that passion, but we need the discipline, the self-control to actually put that into practice. Uh, back in 1 Corinthians 9, as Paul uses that illustration uh, of striving for the prize, he says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How do we run in such a way that we may win? We start working on self-control, on discipline. Um, disciplining our flesh and allowing our mind to rule over its passions. You, you think about the Olympic athlete. You know, how many times do you think the athlete gets up in the morning and just doesn't really feel like going to the gym? <laughs> you know, his body doesn't want to go through that strain again. And yet, there's something within him or her that, that is motivating him to do the things that his body doesn't want to do. Mind over matter. Well, in scripture, it's a very similar idea. It's, it's spirit over flesh, right? I think sometimes we have this concept that, well, if, if I'm not feeling it, then I'm just not being genuine. Um, if, if I'm not really feeling it, then I'm, I'm being a hypocrite. Well, no, the entire idea of self-discipline, of self-control, is doing things that you don't want to do. Sometimes we're not going to feel it. We're not going to physically, our flesh is not going to want to do it. But we need to have the kind of heart that allows our spirit to rule over our flesh. 
I think about Matthew chapter 26. Remember when Jesus was praying in the garden. Um, and he asks his disciples to pray for him. Think about all the distress that he's going through there. He goes a little farther. He prays, not my will, but your will be done. And he comes back to his disciples. And they're sleeping. Uh, they fail to, to appreciate the seriousness of what's going on. They, they fail to, to discipline themselves, to, to be engaged uh, in, in prayer at this time. And Jesus says there in Matthew 26 and verse 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does Jesus mean by that? You know, I, th I think sometimes I I've had the concept that Jesus is commending them. You know, it's okay. The spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. I don't think Jesus is commending them. Jesus is rebuking them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is untrained. Your flesh is weak. You need to allow your spirit to, to rule over your flesh. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the thought that counts. We need to allow our spirit, to allow our, our minds, to allow God to bring our flesh into subjection. Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control in 1 Corinthians 9. Literally, I, I buff it. I, I beat my body. I do the things that it doesn't want to do that it's not going to like so that I may be who God wants me to be. We need to get serious about self-control, about discipline, about bringing our flesh into subjection to our spirit, to God's spirit dwelling within us. It's not enough to desire what's right, to know what's right. We need to discipline ourselves to actually do what's right. And in that, we need perseverance. We need endurance. Um, this idea of self-discipline is not a sprint. It's not one moment of pushing ourselves. It, it is a lifetime of disciplining our flesh, bringing it into subjection. Uh, you think about Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, the Hebrew writer has just talked about these men and women of faith in chapter 11 uh, as examples for us and encouragements to us. And in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's picturing us here as, as having this, this cloud of witnesses, these spectators of men and women of faith who have ran the race before us. And he says, let us run with endurance, the race set before us. This isn't a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon, and we need to start uh, getting serious about uh, training and, and uh, preparing our bodies for that, that marathon. He says we, we need to get rid of, of the sin that so easily entangles us. We can't carry that around with us if we're going to run this, this marathon that we're on. And when we start growing weary, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, see his endurance through the cross. Uh, through a lifetime of sacrifice. Galatians 6 and verse 9, we're told, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap 
if we do not grow weary. Uh, you think about this idea of, of sowing and reaping. You know, why, why does the farmer go out to the field day after day to, to plow the field, to sow the seed, to, to water it? Uh, and, you know, day after day he comes home and what does he have? Nothing, right? Why does he do that? Because the day is going to come when he's going to reap, right? And if we don't get serious about the, the sowing now, about the working now, then there will never come that, that day of, of harvest for us. And so when we think about this idea of not losing heart, of enduring, we need to fix our eyes on that finish line. Um, and, you know, no matter how many days we have to spend um, doing the things that our flesh doesn't want to do, it's going to be worth it when we're able to cross that line to receive the prize of an eternity in the presence of our Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, talks about God's judgment. Uh, It says that he'll judge each according to his deeds there in verse 6. To those who by perseverance or by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Who are the ones who are going to receive eternal life? Those who continue in doing good with patient continuance with perseverance revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 to the church in smyrna the lord writes be faithful until death and i will give the crown of life there is a joy set before us but we have to deny self and take up our cross daily uh, and live each day as a living sacrifice for the lord I think about the, the words of uh, a good servant of the Lord who recently passed away, Gary Sandusky. The, the one quote that stands out for me from him is he said, Heaven is pictured as a place of rest, and I intend to be tired when I get there. <laughs> you know, every time that we push through and do what our flesh doesn't want to do, we're, we're creating a habit. Um, we're, we're building endurance. Every time we give in to what the flesh wants to do, we're creating a habit. We we are creating a pattern within our lives. Let's get serious uh, about preparing for the race before us. And Peter says, to our perseverance, we need to add godliness. I think when we think of the word godliness, many times we think of the idea of God-likeness. That's really not primarily what this Greek word is referring to. It's really more the idea of, of reverence, of devotion, of a God word focus or a God word attitude. Uh, the Greek word is eusebimai, um, from you, which means well or good, and sebimai, which means to be devout or to worship. So good worship or good devotion is kind of the root idea. Thayer says reverence, respect, and the Bible everywhere, piety towards God. Um, uh, W.E. Vine says, piety, which characterized by a Godward attitude, does that which is well-pleasing to him. The commentator Michael Green says, a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. And so here, as we think about the spiritual growth uh, of, 
a commitment to moral excellence, about proper direction in that passion, uh, of self-control, of endurance. Here, we, we need to live every day with a constant awareness of God's presence. We need to grow in our closeness to the Lord and thinking day in, day out about the God that we serve. So many times it's easy to live our lives um, allowing ourselves to be distracted by the things of the world. Um, you know, many times uh, we, we talk about when we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, you know, help us clear our minds of things of the world. And that's good and that's right. We need to be focusing on what we're doing. I think sometimes, though, shouldn't that be our prayer every day <laughs> and every moment to, to clear our minds of things of the world, to set our minds on things above? Uh, and I think that's this idea of godliness is a Godward attitude, a Godward thinking from day to day. It's really the idea of closeness to God, awareness of his presence. James chapter 4 and verse 8, we're told, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We need to develop a closeness to God, a life uh, characterized by consistent prayer and constant devotion to his will. And as James says that in James 4, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If we're going to draw near to God, uh, we can only draw near to him in in holiness and in purity. And the idea of double-minded there in James 4, um, the contrast to that is being single-minded, having our whole mind, our whole heart devoted to the Lord and given to him. I think that's really the the core idea of godliness here. I think of the words of the song, nearer, still nearer. Uh, It says, nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Fold me, oh, fold me close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. That's certainly a picture of, of great comfort. It's a picture of great intimacy. And I think that's really what uh, this word is getting at, is growing in our intimacy and our personal relationship with the Lord. Isaiah 29 and verse 13, God told his people, that they were drawing near to him with their words and honoring him with their lip service, but they were removing their hearts far from him. And their reverence for him consisted of traditions learned by rote. They were going through all the right motions, but their hearts were not near God. As we grow spiritually, uh, we need to make sure that it's not just about going through all the right motions. It's about having our hearts close to the Lord. And he gives us two more virtues here. He says, to godliness add brotherly kindness. Our spiritual lives, as much as they are about developing a personal relationship with the Lord, are not just about me and him. It's about me reflecting his character and my relationship with other people from day to day. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 We're told, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
We cannot claim to know God. We cannot claim to be born of God if we do not reflect his love in our relationships with others. Love is the defining characteristic of who God is. And that needs to be reflected in our relationships with other people. Uh, he goes on later on in 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21 to say, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, it's easy to say that we love God. Um, it's easy to say that, you know, well, if, if Jesus were here and he was in need, I would, I would feed him. I, I'd clothe him. I, I'd go visit him. I'd help take care of him. I'd do whatever he needs. It's easy to say that because Jesus is not here in the flesh, Right? The way that we show that from day to day is by serving his people. And brethren, if, if you are not active in serving this group of people, then you are not active in serving the Lord. Because that is the way that, that we show our love for God, is by serving his people uh, and you know, doing good, to all, first and foremost, those who are of the household of faith, we're told in Galatians 6. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us in that judgment seat, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. In John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. There's a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do all people know that we're Jesus' disciples? If so, Jesus says it's going to be by the kind of love that we show for one another. It's going to be demonstrated, not in just well-wishing. It's going to be demonstrated in how we live from day to day, showing brotherly kindness, showing love. But he says, to brotherly kindness, add love. Brotherly kindness very clearly is talking about a love that we have for one another. This word love, the word agape, uh, is the idea of a sacrificial, giving, committed love. A love that doesn't say, I like what you can do for me. A love that says, I want to serve you. And I think... In context here, if he's just told us about brotherly kindness, uh, when he talks about love, I think probably we're talking primarily about our love for the Lord. Remember the first and second greatest command? Jesus asked what's, what's the greatest commandment in the law in Matthew 22. And he says, the first is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's what we see here in 2 Peter. Um, that... We need to show that love, demonstrate that love in our actions towards one another. Um, but the first and greatest command is that we have a wholehearted love and devotion for God himself. Um, and it's interesting, there's a sense in which this is the pinnacle of spiritual growth, to reflect God's love. There's also a sense in which that is the foundation of our spiritual growth as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the last passage that I want to look at together if you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. 
We read, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you can do or what you're willing to sacrifice. If you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. It's of no value. Um, we Certainly, this is the, the highest goal of the Christian life as Peter presents it to us here. But we need to make sure that we aren't waiting till we've mastered all the others to start working on this one. Uh, this as well is the foundation of our service to the Lord. So what about you today? As you look into the mirror of God's word, as you see this, this path of spiritual growth, uh, what do you need to work on? Where, where are you struggling? Where are you failing? God's word is intended to help us see ourselves more clearly, to see the areas that we need to grow, that we need to change. If there's some area that you recognize you need to uh, allow God to remold you, won't you allow him to make that change within you today? Um, if you are a servant of the Lord, but you've not been living for him, if you need to confess some sin in your life, the reason that we are here as a flock, as a body, as a family, is to help one another in our spiritual growth. If there's any way that we can help you in that, won't you let it be known? We can pray with you, pray for you, be here to support you as you seek to make those things right with the Lord. If you've never committed your life to the Lord, if you've never acted upon your faith, um, then it's not really faith at all. Um, If you need to confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ today, Uh, You can, by God's grace, bury your old man of sin in the waters of baptism. You can be raised to walk a new life, strengthened by the Lord, uh, to grow, to live holy, to reflect his character, to be a partaker of the divine nature, not to be barren or unfruitful in your service of the Lord, but to have a a way uh, abundantly provided, an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Do you need to make some change today? If so, won't you please make it known as we stand and sing together?